I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 25. Take your notes from the worship folder so you can follow along with where we're going. Over these last weeks in Proverbs, the first sermon we did was called Jesus, the Wisdom of God. And uh, that's what we've seen throughout these last six, seven weeks. Um, In the sermon on pride, uh, the second week, we saw how Jesus himself is perfect humility. And in the sermon on words that Pastor Zach did, we were reminded of how Jesus is God's perfect communication to us. In the sermon on justice and integrity, we saw how God demanded justice, and that's why Jesus was sacrificed for us. Through the sermon on work, we're reminded that Jesus accomplished the work that God gave him to do, Uh, which was to die for our sins. And last week in the sermon on money and generosity, we were reminded of the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today as we talk about restoring broken relationships from Proverbs, this is exactly what God did for us in Jesus. You know, one way to look at life is through relationships. Uh, First of all, our relationship with God and who we are in Christ. Uh, Our relationship with other believers in the body of Christ. Our relationship with people outside of the church. Sin breaks our relationship with God and our relationship, then that relationship has to be, had to be restored by Christ. And sin damages our relationship with other people. And what happens when, the, when those relationships uh, are damaged or broken is that they need to be repaired. A huge part of <clears throat> any relationship is communication. We communicate with God through prayer. Uh, if we don't pray, if we don't ever talk with God, then we can't develop a relationship with him any more than if you stopped talking to a friend that you could develop a relationship with them. Somebody said that communication is to love what blood is to the body. Think about that. What does blood do for the body? Well, it gives us life. If there's no blood, there's no life. Uh, Blood filters out impurities in our body. Blood heals wounds. And so communication does that same thing for us as, uh, as individuals. Somebody, say, came up with the most important words we can communicate to each other. And you've got it on your outline. They said the six most important words are, I admit I made a mistake. We don't maybe hear that enough. Uh, the five most important words, you did a good job. And the four most important words, what do you think? finding out about what another person is thinking, the the three most important words, after you, please. My life for yours. We're laying down our lives for each other. And the two most important words, thank you. Thank you to God. Our our worship service is a, a time of giving thanks to God. The one most important word is is we, and and the least important word is I. And right in the middle of the word sin is the letter I. With that in mind, let's read our passage. I'll start in the middle of verse seven of Proverbs 25. What you have seen with your eyes, 
do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, or he who hears it may shame you, and you will never lose your bad reputation. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is God's word. So you have this on your outline. We are saved individually, but we are saved into community. We become a part of the body of Christ. We become a part of the local expression of his body right here at Claremont Emanuel. We need each other. We can't do the Christian life by ourselves. In the New Testament, the word that describes the way God wants us to relate to each other is the Greek word koinonia. Uh, That word means literally to share together. I mean, you can say a lot about that word, but in essence, that's the important part of koinonia. It's a popular word today, so maybe you've heard of it. We have an adult teaching uh, Sunday morning fellowship called the koinonia class because they're sharing the word together. Uh, As Christians, we benefit in the death of our Lord Jesus and the results of that. We are all equal at the cross. No matter what our background, we, are, we, we come to the cross and we find perfect community there because we share together in the death of Christ. As Christians, uh, the relationship we have with other believers is described in Proverbs thirteen twenty. It's on your outline. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, We've probably all experienced that, hanging out at some time or another with wrong people, and it's not helpful for us. The point of Proverbs 25 that we just read is this. Instead of running to the authorities to complain about someone, go to that person and try to work it out with them and make it right with them first. If you betray another man's confidence, like it says in verse nine, you're just piling one injustice on top of another. So when a relationship is broken, how do we fix it? Well, these verses in Proverbs and others give us some insight in how to restore a broken relationship. So the first thing is to recognize that sin breaks our relationship with God and also with each other what we've already said. Uh, verse, uh, Proverbs 24, verse 17 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. What Proverbs is saying is that this gloating is where hatred starts. And so we can't have hate in our heart, That's, we, we've got to guard our hearts from hate. Jesus deals with this same exact thing in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5. He says this, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. <clears throat> if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. 
If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Calling someone a name isn't murder, but what Jesus is saying and, and, and what the Proverbs are saying is that's where murder starts. And so don't have murderous thoughts, hateful thoughts in your heart. Proverbs is telling us, this is on your outline, that if we smile on the inside at someone's failure, that is the seed of hate. And when this happens, it destroys relationships. It it damages the community. Remember that the fool is someone in Proverbs who is destructive. Look at Proverbs 24, verse 28, again on your outline. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. So what would make someone want to testify in court something that isn't true? Well, it's a desire for vengeance. Look at verse 29. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. So what Proverbs is saying is that hatred basically follows a pattern. And this is a pattern that we should avoid at all costs. And here's the pattern. Someone wrongs you or they wrong someone you love. And it creates hard feelings. And you start to root against that person. And then maybe you say, you know, I'm going to get back at them. Even if I have to go to court and lie and make up what happened, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to make them suffer like I've suffered. And so it's hate in seed form to allow any of those thoughts to fester in our lives. There's a movie called Last of the Mohicans that takes place during the French and Indian War. And there's a frontiersman named Hawkeye who's trying to protect some of the Mohican refugees from the French army. And near the end of the movie, Hawkeye is accusing a bad guy in front of the chief. And here's what he says. His heart is so twisted by hate, he has become like that which twisted him. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. So now that we're aware of this, what we see happening, we need to learn how to respond. And that leads us to the second point on the outline, what it takes to repair a relationship. So once we recognize something is broken in the relationship, what do we do about it? Well, the first thing is that, and this is letter A on your outline, we have to resist the feeling of superiority. Someone wrote this about relationships. Human relationships constantly break down. Like a house, they regularly need both minor repairs, which we call maintenance, as well as major restorations. The wise person has the skill set to do both. One way to do minor maintenance is by resisting the natural tendency we all have to feel superior to other people or to despise those around us. So we have to humble ourselves. 
We humble ourselves first before God and, and we, we, are, we practice humility in relationships. And the anger will dissipate when that happens. When we do that, it, the anger will go away. When it says in Proverbs eleven twelve that you also have on your outline, a person who lacks judgment derides their neighbor, but a person of understanding holds his tongue. So as a person of understanding, we begin by taking the log out of our own eye. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter seven. I wanna read it from the message. Here's what it says. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? Wipe the ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. In all likelihood, we've, we've all been there. We've done that. We've, our human tendency is to focus on the sin of other people and to exaggerate our own righteousness. That's the, the heart of legalism. Uh, look how righteous I am and what I'm doing. That's, that's a sinful attitude. And at the end of verse 12, it says, but a person of understanding holds his tongue. If we don't want a relationship to be messed up, then we need to learn to hold our tongue. How many times have you said, and we've all said at one time or another, man, I wish I didn't say that. I wish I hadn't said that. I didn't need to say that. It wasn't helpful. And we wish we could take those words back. And so a person of understanding holds his tongue. When someone else, treat, when someone else fails, and they treat you in an awful way, <clears throat> what we're to do is treat them with sympathy and respect. You know, you never know the story of another person. You never know what's going on in their lives. The next thing we have to do to repair a relationship is to release the person from liability. In other words, forgive the person. I have a friend who's a, a Christian and he was working on his PhD in Europe. And uh, he was an outspoken, he is an outspoken Christian. And he was having a conversation with a, a professor of the PhD students who was an atheist. And, um, and they went back and forth about reasons to believe in Christianity. And, and she would give reasons to not believe in Christianity. And then in the end, she said to my friend, so what would you say is the one difference between Christianity and all other religions. And he said, in Christianity, we have forgiveness. We have the cross of Christ. Cross, Christ forgave me so that I have the power to be able to forgive others, even when they don't deserve it. Just like I didn't deserve to be forgiven by Christ. And this is the response of that woman. She said, uh, after thinking about it a bit, I think you're right. I don't have anyone to forgive me. That's who, what we have as Christians. <clears throat> I don't know if you know the name Rebecca Pippert, but she was uh, studying, her husband used to be, Wes Pippert was the UPI correspondent in the White House. 
and Rebecca Pippert was taking a class at Harvard. And the class was in psychotherapy, and it was taught by a psychotherapist. And uh, she asked the question, how do you help someone forgive? And the professor thought about it for a while, and then he said this, well, that person will have to learn to live with whatever bitterness or anger they have, and hopefully they will not be driven by it. But I don't know how to help somebody forgive. You see, that's the best the world has to offer. Psychotherapy that is devoid of God might be able to help you understand your hate, but they cannot help you, it cannot help you to forgive. And we all need to forgive. We have a great example of what it means to forgive in Proverbs chapter 17, verse nine. It's on your outline. He who covers over an offense promotes love. When it says cover over, it doesn't mean to hide it. What does it mean? It's the opposite of dwelling on it. The verse goes on to say, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And so to cover over is not to, not to repeat it all the time to other people. Uh, look again at Proverbs 24, 28, and 29 uh, on your outline. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. And so to repeat the matter is to pay him back. In other words, we have this thing in our minds, we're not gonna forgive him. I'm gonna hold him responsible for what he did to me. I'm gonna hold him liable for what he did for me, what he did to me. That's what it means to have a grudge. And that's something else that we have to avoid in our lives is holding a grudge. Someone described a grudge like this. They said a grudge is like a mental post-it note that you stick to someone's past mistakes and then accidentally super glue them to your forehead so you never forget to be annoyed with them. Forgiveness means that, in a sense, you're paying the cost. You, 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 hold, you don't hold, you release them from liability of them paying the cost and you pay the cost. And the whole reason we can do that is because Jesus paid the cost for us. We, didn't have, we, we can't earn our own salvation. We don't earn our own salvation. It's a gift. And that's what forgiving another person is about. And, and, and this on, is on the outline. You might not feel forgiving at first, but you act out of forgiveness by not continuing to bring up the, the offense. And if you do forgiveness, you will eventually feel forgiveness. Because forgiveness is primarily, first of all, a decision that you make. You decide to forgive someone. And when you do that, when you do forgiveness, you'll eventually, your emotions will catch up. Unforgiveness is sin. And so we don't want to be unforgiving. So how do you do forgiveness? 
Well, you don't repeat the offense. You don't keep bringing it up to them. You don't talk about it with other people. And you don't dwell on it in your own mind. And that might hurt at first because in a sense you're paying the cost. The alternative is that you become twisted. Like that person in the last of the Mohicans. And you become foolish. And so first of all, you resist the feeling of superiority. And then secondly, you release that person in your mind from liability. You release them in your actions from liability and you forgive them. And then the third thing is that you overcome evil with good. Romans 12. If you want to free yourself from the evil that they've done to you or that someone, they've done to someone you love, you must overcome evil with good. As Paul says it in Romans 12, uh, and he says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And when those three are in place, when we've abandoned a position of superiority, when we've humbled ourselves, when we've released them from liability, when we have determined to, do, to, to conquer evil by doing good, then, then we can confront, and this is letter D, when we have to. We confront when we have to. Then and only then, and we confront in love. We confront someone because we love them. And this is where Proverbs 27, five and six come in. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's unloving to let someone that you see continually doing something wrong that's hurting Maybe it's hurting them or hurting other people or hurting the body at large. It's wrong for us to let that continue to happen. And so we should confront that person. Of course, we go to them in love. We go to them because hopefully we've earned the right to be able to, to for them to listen to us because we love them. But it'll only work if you've forgiven them. It'll only work if you come in humility and not a position of superiority. It'll only work if you've determined to do good and not evil to them. You know, I, um, a pastor I know, I've got this card from one of his sons. He wrote this, Dad, you took center stage in my thoughts today and my heart gave you a standing ovation. I appreciate you so much. Dad, I love you and mom so, so much. Not a day goes by when I don't thank God 
for your wonderful heart for God and your desire to raise Michael and me to be great people. I know it's no special occasion or anything, but you're a special dad. And I just want to say thanks. I love you and mom bunches. Seth. And this dad said the first thing that came to his mind is how hard this guy was to raise <laughs> and how often he had to discipline him. And, and yet the love overcame all that. And, 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 and the point is that that works not only in a family but in the church. As, as we love each other and, and even if we have to confront each other in love, that the love deepens. The, the relationship grows. And his first thought was, can you believe a son that I disciplined that much sent me a card like that? So confrontation handled rightly is good for a family and it's good for the family of God. Sometimes we need to forgive for the sake of the community. But when you see someone doing that same sin over and over again, or whatever that sin might be, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us how to handle that in Galatians chapter six. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Don't get twisted yourself by what they're doing or by your response to what they're doing. And for their sake and the sake of the community, you need to go and speak to them. But only when you've done those first three. And this brings us to number three on the outline, the heart of relationship repair. So Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 says this, do not gloat when your enemy falls, when he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. So what does this mean? You know, the, the most concise statement I could find on these verses comes from, I think, the best commentator on the Proverbs, Derek Kidner. And he writes this. He says this. Look at that verse and think about this. Verse 18 shows that verse 17 is far from optional. For the point of the second part of the verse or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him, is that your glee may well be a more punishable sin than all the guilt of your enemy. In other words, God, it, God can be as angry at your response as he is with the original sin against you, and he's not happy with that original sin against you, but don't make it so that his focus goes off of that and onto you. 
by you becoming twisted by their sin. So here's what it means when God says that he'll take it out on himself because you know we, we, we talk about us holding on to the, the punishment or us taking the, the sin, bringing it on us, their sin, taking the liability off of them and bringing it on us. That's exactly what God has done for us. And here's what he writes through the prophet Isaiah. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But no, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The only thing that will stop us from taking vengeance on someone is to focus on Jesus, to focus on the cross. And Jesus taking our judgment onto himself. The only way to know true forgiveness is by doing that. And we will stop, when we stop acting like the Lord, like we're in charge, and we see Jesus humble himself to the point of death on the cross and acting voluntarily like a servant. You know, Paul wrote to the Philippians because there were all kinds of relationship problems going on in Philippi. And he wanted them to work together. He wanted them to stop the infighting. And here's what he writes. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender? Are your hearts compassionate? Paul writes. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You want to have good relationships with other people? You want to have repaired relationships with other people? Focus on Jesus. You know, Dr. John Gottman is recognized as the foremost relationship authority in the world. 
Uh, if you ask any, he himself is not a Christian, he's Jewish. But if you ask any Christian marriage and family therapist, if they know who he is, they will say, oh, absolutely. They probably use a lot of his material. But Dr. Gottman said that you can tell the success of a relationship not by how much or how little they argue or have conflict with each other, but on how quickly they repair and receive repair. So a repair might be, I'm sorry, I blew it, Uh, will you forgive me? That's a repair. A a repair might be a different tone of voice. A a repair might be a touch on the shoulder. Uh, There's a million ways to repair and receive repairs. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, many of you remember if, yeah, a, a broken relationship that President Ronald Reagan had with his daughter, Patty Davis. Um, she said in an article that one of her biggest regrets was turning down her father every time he wanted to sit down with her and talk about life. He was trying to repair and she was refusing the repair. She would always tell him, I already know your side. And she admits that her refusals to talk wounded him deeply. And then she said this after her father had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I would look into my father's eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of Alzheimer's with my words, my apology, hoping that in his heart he heard me and understood. And then she concludes her article with these words. I wish that now, all those years ago, I had led with kindness and not ideological stridency. We are, after all, remembered in the end for how we treat others. Sometimes the political has to be tempered by the personal. And it seems like from what she said, the president tried many times to repair that relationship and she never received the repair. So my question for you is this. Who do you need to reach out to to repair a relationship that's been broken? Who do you need to receive a repair from? From someone that's tried to repair a relationship with you. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. On the cross, your son, Jesus, was what we needed to receive salvation. Will you keep reminding us what Jesus did for us so that we can be quick to repair, quick to forgive, and have the strength to restore every broken relationship in our lives. Help all of us to learn the humility that Jesus had. Help us to stop putting ourselves on the judgment seat but to be real and genuine peacemakers in this world. Father, I know that sometimes you can use our words to make people recognize the emptiness in their own hearts without you. And if there's anyone here who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would know that's what's happening. They would respond in faith. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for our benediction. And if God has spoken to your hearts, we're gonna have, as we always do, some folks up front who would love to listen uh, to how God has spoken to you and pray with you about anything that's on your heart. So, uh, and then as a reminder, always uh, to greet the people around you before you leave today. But this is the reminder from the Apostle Paul that I love, and he says this to the Colossian church. Remember what Christ taught, and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other and sing them, which we've done today in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. Amen.